I wouldn't say my concentration is good enough to the point where I can completely get all of my satisfaction that I would normally get from these things while sitting. And I'm not getting a satisfaction from the things that I normally would. So I'm in this place where I don't really have, I feel, as much source of what you might call dopamine or serotonin or joy from external things. Um, and it's a little difficult, uh, but it's not debilitating. It's just. Would, would you say that um, the entertainment and the external things that you uh, used to do and enjoy, perhaps that it was the expectation of enjoyment rather than enjoyment itself. And now that you can see more clearly, you can see that in fact there's not much enjoyment in doing that entertainment. Yeah, it's quite stressful actually. The activities, okay. there's restlessness with um, passion mixed with the sense of running away from being um, silent, almost like this habit of having to consistently bombard myself with stimulation. It's a stressful thing. Um, and I think I'm coming to this recognition that this is a stressful act, but it's a habit still. And I don't know where to look for the, uh, it's yeah. not only just a habit, but much of the society in fact wants you to do that, uh, to be in that entertainment. An example of that is the politicians want you to watch the news. They want to be in your face. Mm -hmm. The religious people writing their literature and putting stuff out because they want you to come and look and enjoy and absorb, etc., like that. Everything is this yeah. way, but they're, they're buying for your attention because that's where they're going to get their money. Okay. So uh, it's not just that you're in the habit of it, but that you picked up that habit because so many people do pick up that habit. And that our society actually, in, a, in many ways, depends upon it. Mm. Um, imagine, if you will, that... Um, for some reason or another that I don't have to make up uh, to make it viable. But for some reason or another, we did not have social media the way that we have it now. And I'm talking about the internet and television, mass mm -hmm. media. You see, most of the stuff is purchased because it's advertised. And if you look at uh, television over time and also um, cable is, is that the advertisements will go in cycles. Mm -hmm. And so um, one, one of the cycles will be like selling pharmaceuticals to old people. And so you'll have months, a barrage of that. Then you don't see those ads anymore. Okay, yeah, that's true. Okay. And then you'll find something else like uh, uh, health care products. Mm -hmm. And they'll be, and Johnson and Johnson will just do a heavy blitz for a few months, and then they'll they'll stop. 
because they're trying to get people in the habit of it. And once they get the, uh, enough people in the habit of buying that product, then they don't have to advertise it so much. But then it will go down, and so they'll start up an ad later. But the important point is, is that they want you to spend your time on their air. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you do. Yeah. Been a good little boy. You've been do- doing what you're told to do. Yeah. But at least, now uh, you're beginning to wake up. Yeah, it's a little. Uh, it can feel like uh, like I want to go back to sleep sometimes because I'm so uh, used to the. Uh, I don't want to, but it feels my the process that I'm coming out of. Well, it's a process, and in fact, you may get to a point in that process um, to where uh, you can uh, engage with media without it um, being able to pull you down. Mm-hmm. But you've got to get up first. <laughs> of course. Um, so... Um, it's a, it's difficult because uh, one of the reasons is there's not many um, people I can turn to that have this sort of uh, process of gone going have having gone through this sort of process of removing these sensory um, addictions because it's like wh- wherever you turn there's just more more to consume. Anywhere I turn, there's more to consume, um, and to to let go of that is, in a way, to let go of everything that our society values, um, and the things that are left are what I would say are what's actually valuable. You know, you have your family, your your well-being, but to let go of it feels not even to let go of it, but to see through it, to realize there's actually not the same joy there. There's not joy there at all. It's just a... Actually, seeing through it, or seeing it as it really is, uh, is necessary for the letting go of it. Otherwise, we will... uh, it's, It's back to the same old dialogue. Oh, it, uh, where we have the thoughts. Oh, it is bad for you, and you should turn it loose. Mm-hmm. And then there is also in there, but the no, I like it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the situation can be set up of, uh, I'm watching YouTube, but while I'm watching to YouTube, I'm having the thoughts. Oh, you should be going and meditating. But we don't go meditate. We sit and we watch YouTube. Mm. Right? But while we're watching YouTube, we're having thoughts, oh, you should go to meditate. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I started meditating more is because I was watching YouTube like two to three hours a day. And I was like, I could just be meditating instead. Well, um, you're missing the point. Let me put it this way. There's the third option that this individual doesn't have, and that is is that he could actually enjoy YouTube. Okay. Or if he's not, and he recognizes that he's not 
enjoying YouTube, then that recognition or that's the wake up. And in fact, he is meditating right then and there. Okay. I see what you mean. Okay. So um, the idea of meditation being on a cushion someplace off alone, it does have that value to it. But that's not the point of it. Okay, that the point of our Anapanasati practice, which has been wrongly labeled as meditation, this Anapanasati practice is done in the beginning in seclusion so that we can get away from it all, so that we don't have to deal with the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that are coming in from the world right now. And we only have to deal with the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that we're having on our own sitting right here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So basically what we're saying is, is that uh, the art of going off is what we call getting into seclusion. And the Buddha talks about how important it is for us to spend time in seclusion away from the world. But that's only so that we can figure out what part of that world that we actually brought in or the, the fact that when we're in seclusion, in meditation, if you want to call it that, then that's when we recognize, oh, but I didn't get away from the world. I brought it with me. I brought it with me. And so then we can really deal with getting the world out of the mind because we can see that it's actually in the mind. Once we are able to do that, um, maybe got to watch my language. In the process of learning that, not once you do it, but in the process of learning that, we then bring that, that practice out into the world so that we can continue to maintain uh, that wall to not allow the, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune come into the mind. They have to stay out. Mm -hmm. So that's just one way of expressing it. So basically what we're saying is, is that our, the, the, what we call the formal practice, the sitting, walking, et cetera, like that, is nothing more then getting us ready for not doing that stuff and living a normal life anyway, joyfully and happily. So that's one of the things, in fact, uh, since we've started talking, I've been listening for, and I haven't heard you use that word yet, which is in fact the most important one. And it's the most important now simply because that's the one that's missing. Okay. An example of that was is that you've decided you're going to build, say, your own car. And so you get your frame, you get your body, you get the, uh, um, uh, the wheels, you get uh, the interior done. The only thing you're missing is the motor. Okay. And now that becomes the most important part. Okay. In fact, you can think of it as when we're putting things together, always the most important part is the one that has been left out and needs to be there in order to complete it. Um, 
this brings in, and I'll just touch on it for a moment, what is called general systems theory. And this is a good thing to understand. General systems theory talk about systems in the sense of open and closed systems. Mm-hmm. And that closed systems generally don't exist very much, but they do exist. But mostly we live in an open system in the sense that the planet Earth is not a closed system, it's open. One of the things it's open to is the electromagnetic and uh, photon radiation coming from the sun. Imagine if the sun wasn't here, what would happen to the Earth in its closed system? Well, it wouldn't be closed still. It would start radiating its heat out. Mm. And then it would get cold and it would die. Yeah. All right. So here's we're going in the direction of a particular point, and that is, is that a system is a system because it's greater than the sum of the parts. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the example of an automobile, the automobile is greater than the sum of the parts because what it adds now new is transportation. If you take that car apart and put all the parts all around the yard, you can't get in the car and drive away because the parts are not in a system yet. They're not unified. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we can take that because in that regard, we can say that the first jhana has that quality that it is greater than the sum of its parts. But if any particular part is missing out of the first jhana, then it's not really first jhana because it doesn't have the benefits of that extra oomph that the sum of the parts bring in. Okay, so if it's got in, ingredients missing, then it's something else. It's not first jhana. So an example of that would be like baking the cake. The cake has certain ingredients to it. If you leave some of those in, or we eat even one ingredient out, it's not going to be cake that you come up with. For instance, you leave out the sugar. Yeah. Then whatever it is that you've made, maybe you can give it a name, but it's not what people would normally think of as cake. And yet you, when you open uh, or you cut a piece of cake open and you look at it, you can't see any sugar. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not there. It's been integrated into the whole. So... What key ingredient do you think I'm getting around to when we're talking about uh, the way you're practicing first jhana? Uh, um, it depends. I, I, I'm not sure. Joy. Okay. You don't. You ha- the the pos- the the practice of Anapanasati is the practice of creating, you could use the word manufacturing, a lot of students don't like that because they think that it's too much effort. There really is some effort involved, but the effort that it takes is small effort, it's right effort. Normally when students are putting in a lot of effort into their meditation, they're putting in too much effort. They're struggling. They're working too hard. They want something out of it. 
And many students who start practicing longer and longer and longer and longer hours thinking, number one, that they're getting some value out of spending so much time practicing meditation. And it's almost like that. Uh, there in the old days, certain um, uh, companies would have a stamp book that when you paid for your item, not only you got your item, but you got some stamps. And when you filled that book up with stamps, then you could go and redeem it. Mm-hmm. All right. But you can also think of it in the sense of having enough. Like when you go buy something, if you don't have enough money, it has to come up to a certain level. So mm-hmm. if the price is 99 cents and you've got 98 cents, the answer is no. You might be able to talk them into it, but if you got 49 cents, that's not enough to pay for something that's 99 cents. You've got to come up to the 99 cent level. You you get what I'm talking about. Okay. So this is why it's a skill to be developed so that we're adding more to it over Mm -hmm. time. We're actually developing the skill and the skill that we're talking about developing is the skill of sukha. And that that word sukha is actually the opposite of dukkha. It's opposite in the Pali language, it's opposite in Thai, and it's opposite opposite in the Gujarat language. I've got a friend who's got um, uh, some history of Gujarat. And so dukkha and sukha in the Pali is the same as dukkha and suk in Thai, and it's the same as Duki and Suki in Gujarat. So mm-hmm. suk, the opposite of dukkha, in the sense that dissatisfaction is dukkha, and satisfaction is sukha. And we need to develop the satisfaction because you've been in the habit of developing dukkha for many years now. Would you say this is the, um, is this the same as the fourth factor of pity for, uh, in the seven factors for awakening? Like, um, Dukkha and, <clears throat> excuse me, Sukha and pity are interrelated. Mm-hmm. They are in fact together. And that in some places in the Pali, when it uses pity, is actually talking about both of them and that in many other places in the Pali, it brings them into just one term, Pitisuk. Pitisuk, okay. Okay. So, um, Piti and Sukha are interrelated in the sense that they do have the following factors in common. One of them is safety, security, that we feel safe and secure, no dangers, no problems, no fear. No Mm -hmm. jobs to be done, nothing pending, that we feel secure and safe and satisfied. Now, that's another aspect of it is satisfaction. In fact, that's possibly the best way to describe sukha is satisfied. But it has also the quality of safety and security, um, contentment right Mm -hmm. there. Pity has some additional qualities to it in the sense of that uh, pity 
is more energetic, is more active, that you could say that sukha is complete relaxation. Mm-hmm. And that pity is that which happened immediately before and during that brings on that satisfaction. Mm-hmm. An example of that would be at the football uh, game where the guy who makes the touchdown spikes the ball, jumps up in the air, throws his arm, everybody in the crowd, especially the players, are all cheering, mm-hmm. right? That's the win. We've got it. Good, strong, positive feeling then that immediately within 30 seconds or so uh, mollifies uh, down to contentment, especially if that's, that touchdown has now changed the score mm-hmm. in the sense that now we're winning. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so the people who are in the stands, they jump up and they cheer at that uh, um, touchdown, but then they sit back down and sigh and, oh, I'm glad that's over. Mm -hmm. All right. That's the pity sukha that's in normal life. If that pity and sukha was not there or people didn't even know that it existed, then nobody would ever bother to go to a football game. What's the point? Yeah, he made a touchdown. So what? Yeah. I, but if I've got money riding on it, now I've made money. Now I'm involved and I feel good because of the touchdown. Or uh, we don't even have to put money on it. We can put just emotional investment in the sense of my town. I think one of the, uh, the areas I find difficult is the pity feels fairly natural, but the sukha, I don't find it as easy to locate or to generate. That's why it's a skill to be developed. Yeah. I'm not sure where to start. Huh? I'm not not sure where to start with uh, that skill. You start by intentionally liking something. Because you've been in the habit of intentionally wanting to improve something. Mm. Because you don't like the way it is. So we have to start changing our frame of reference of, wow, this is good. Wow, I can do this. Okay. So what is it that this is that is the job to be done? There is a job to be done. What is that? is that is is to bring the mind out of hindrances, to seclude ourselves from hindrance. That's the job that's to be done. Mm -hmm. Can you do that? Of course. Huh? Of course. All right. If you can do that, guess what? Very few people in the world can do that. Most people are slaves to their own mind because they don't know that they can throw the hindrances out and come back to a good state. Mm. That in fact, the number of people is is very rare. The number of nobles is very few. I would believe it. Very few nobles in the world. Very few have the skills to clean out their own mind 
and come to the reality of what's really going on in the moment, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a skill to be developed. We actually, in ways, we look for the joy. And the easy way to find it is in that statement that I've given you already. Aha, I see you, Mara. Mm-hmm. That's the job that needs to be done, is the wake up. Because the chasing the hindrances out, oh, what a relief that is. Mm-hmm. But see, you're doing the job, but you're not giving yourself the value or the reward because you never have before. Yes. The way that our society is set up is, is that you teach, for instance, in first grade, the kid's got to learn the ABCs. Why does he have to learn the ABCs? Not because there's some glory or some reward in ABCs. There's no now he can put together three-letter words. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the value in that? There's no value in that. Only that now you have the skill that you can put together bigger words. You learn phonics, and then after yeah. a few years of work, now you can read. But very few people actually enjoy reading. Only a very few people enjoy reading, right? Yeah. Most yeah. people don't enjoy reading because they didn't enjoy learning reading. That's very true. All right. So now let's change this around to where the skill that we have is the skill of finding the success, the little successes. Mm-hmm. and take joy in them. Yes, I can do that. Yes, I can clean out the mind. That's very unusual. Most people cannot clean their mind out. Most people, when they're stuck in bad feelings, they're just stuck in bad feelings, and then something later will happen, and they'll slowly come out of it, or they'll change their mind or intention. For instance, um, somebody, somebody can be in a heated argument with another person while he is trying to drive a nail with the hammer in, he drives the nail on his finger instead. And Mm -hmm. now he's got something new to deal with and he kind of forgets about the argument that he was having because he's now got something new to deal with. Okay. His throbbing thumb, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So that, and many people just live their leave, live their whole lives like like that, moving from one bad feeling to another, over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so when they start, that person starts to practice meditation, they wind up in that same frame of mind, mm-hmm. so that um, they they don't take the joy in the small successes. Mm-hmm. But let's look at it, in fact, is it such a small success after all? That in fact, being able to clean the mind of hindrances, to see the way things really are, is to become noble, mm-hmm. is to become Buddha-like, right? Because able, strong like a lion, able to handle anything, have uh, um, uh, an excellent winner's attitude, a can-do, okay? That kind of person is very rare, very unique in the world. So every time that you can get your mind in that state, you should be able to congratulate yourself because right here in this particular moment, I'm one of the Buddhas, I'm one of the gods, I'm one of the highest class people on the earth. 
that our morality and our vision and our understanding of things is better than any preacher, better than any priest, better than any politician. Mm. Our view is better than any CEO, better than any Heisman Trophy winner, better than uh, Olympic uh, gold medalist. That what we have right now is something that is extraordinarily valuable. Can't you give yourself credit for that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a mindset that I've held away from myself because I've always, like you said, had this attitude of, well, this needs to be improved, and once I get it improved, then, you know, there's no time to give myself joy just because who has time for that, right? Or it's mm-hmm. not, not even, it just doesn't cross my mind as a... So, what we need to do now is to actually cultivate the feeling that you're okay. To cultivate the feeling that you're very high quality. Mm-hmm. To cultivate that this, what's happening right now, is quite excellent, in fact. Mm-hmm. That this is an excellent way of living one's life. To be able to take a deep breath and throw out any problem. Mm-hmm. And in fact, to take a deep breath and to rejoice in the fact that you don't have any problems to throw out. Mm. I think I think one of the things that I've realized recently is this sense of almost this hum of dissatisfaction is um, it almost feels as if it's a part or as something I've made a part of my identity as something that I'm comfortable with because it's never been clear. It's never, I've never seen that what you're discussing or discussing right now is, is a possibility. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's almost like a self uh, clinging to this because I'm afraid of, you know, if I get too happy, then uh, I don't yeah. know where, where, you, where, where I'm going to go, you know. Right, but if you're that happy, then who cares? You'll enjoy it when you get there. This is true. That's why it's such a delusional way of thinking about this type of thing. Uh Uh-huh. However, wherever you wind up in that state of happiness will not be what the society has ordered you to do. Mm -hmm. And so you have to separate yourself from society. It's... I won't need any of the things being presented to me anymore. I'll be mm-hmm. fine without any of them. That's right. not <laughs> at so, all good for the society. So let's look at um, that state where the guy is watching YouTube telling himself in his own mind, you should be meditating now. Okay. That should stuff that we have is in fact, um, let us say, the the buzzword of the superego. Now, what I mean by superego is what Freud meant by superego. Eric Byrne called it the parent ego state, and Buddha called it, uh, a, a, in English, attachments to rites, rules, and rituals, and the way things should be. And the Tapali word for that is Sila Bhatta Paramasa. 
And so what Silavata Paramasa means is, is that um, we not only are attached to, but we replay the old takes of how things ought to be, how things should be. Okay. The way that the parents told us, oh, you've got to go do this. In fact, um, in the beginning, it would be parents, but fairly soon it's going to be grandparents, teachers, older siblings, aunt, uncles, aunts. Then it's going to add the general society of preachers and uh, police and all kinds of people are going to be adding to this uh, collection of um, rites, rules, and rituals so that it becomes immense. In fact, one example is, is that I've heard that the IRS has 80,000 pages of regulations. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's just the IRS. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and that every municipal police group have their own ways of doing it. So there's literally tens of thousands. You can drive across the United States, drive across 300 different jurisdictions, each one of them with a pile of rules sky high, and many of them are different than everybody else's rules. Mm -hmm. All right? So much for rules. The humans have been making rules for one another for a long, long time. And that we get attached to these rules. In fact, we attach to them instinctually. Yeah, it's, it's not right. even, I don't even think about it. Right. What is the instinct? The instinct is the herding instinct. The instinct is also referred to as the nesting instinct. In other words, animals will nest together at night for protection. Or they go into a herd together in order for protection. An example of that would be the sheepdog is barking. The sheepdog's not even as big as some of the bigger sheep. But what do the sheep do? They get into a herd. And because now that they're all structured together, they're all in a herd, all each one of them trying his best to get away from the dog, the dog can come here and he can go there and move around and, and guide this herd of sheep through the um, uh, gate into the other pasture or whatever the dog and the owner want them to do. <clears throat> now think about it. What if some of the bigger sheep who were friends with each other, one would look at the other and say, you know something, you're bigger than that dog and so am I. Why don't we get a few of our friends and we'll go surround the dog and then everybody else can just hang out. Yeah. They don't, right? Why did the sheep resist and um, uh, ignore the dog? Because, well, fear because and herding. Their, own, their internal system of herding, and uh, that herding is based upon fear. Okay, and so when the dog barks, the sheep get afraid, then they herd together, and then they're able to be controlled. Mm. Doesn't that sound like the Republican Party? It sounds like every party. Huh. Pardon? It sounds like every party. Well, some of them actually use the carrot. Oh, I'll give you welfare. Oh, I'll give you um, uh, free health care. Oh, I'll give you this, that, and the other thing if you vote for me. So that's the other side, the carrot and the stick. And some parties use the carrot more than the stick. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that in fact, both parties or all the parties will use a combination of both. But the thing that will get people to the polls is fear. Yes. Fear of the loss of something. Uh, so, um, the humans, though, we have a frontal cortex. We have the ability to wake up, to make the choices, and to recognize we, in fact, me and my friends are bigger than that sheepdog. Therefore, why should I be afraid of that sheepdog? Correct. Yeah, there's not. And now that sheep has some freedom because he doesn't have to go along with the fear that is generated with the sheepdog acting in his instinctual way. You too can do that. That instinct that we're talking about, that hurting instinct, is now in the humans something that you remember from childhood so that the rules that you had to abide by to, to alleviate yourself of the fears that you had as a child, you continue to give yourself those same rules of what you should do. All right. Uh, in uh, TA, which is part of Eric Burns' system, he talks about the parent-ego state is basically of two kinds. One is the critical parent, and the other is the nurturing parent. You mm-hmm. can nurture yourself, but you don't. You're critical instead. Mm-hmm. But if you start nurturing yourself in the sense of, hey, that was good. This is Okay. I like this. Let's have some success in our life. Basically, what we're saying is, is that we're changing the the old tape. Mm -hmm. And that we're doing it wisely. We're wisely changing the old method of thinking and yakking at ourselves into nurturing ourselves. Mm Mm-hmm. And how, how, how much nurturing can you do? You've been doing quite a lot of uh, haranguing yourself and uh, okay. criticism, blessing. Defeatism. Uh huh. And so many, many people are now practicing meditation, thinking that they can beat themselves into it. The way that the uh, the farmer will beat the jackass to get him to pull the cart. Mm. It's true. Um, I think there's part of that. Parents is inside of, of myself and has been quite dominant as uh, I've left the uh, the nest, so to speak. Even though my parents tended to be a mix of both, I've taken the criticism and ran with it is the way I, I go about doing things. It doesn't take a great leap to recognize that not only am I like that, but that everybody's like that, that that's what human society is all about. That you see, without human society, there would be complete chaos. Mm. That it would be back to Darwin. It would be dog eat dog. It would be survival of the fittest. Uh, completely. So, but what we have done is we have, as humans, have built a civilization to try to make order out of chaos. But 
we have approached it in the wrong way in the sense of having um, a lot of rules to take care of every situation mm-hmm. instead of having a very, very few rules that take care of every situation. Okay. And so I should do this. I should do that. I should have that. All of those shoulds uh, that, that put us down is a multitude of things and that the number of laws and rules and regulations like I've said um, is I mean we could sit here uh, each one of us typing we could type all day long and still think of new laws new rules new regulations that we know are in effect <laughs> that in fact there seems to be conflicts and new rules about anything that's this done you want a new pipeline Fine, we're going to pass a dozen new laws. <laughs> exactly. And yet we can make things really simple if we know how. And so I'm offering you the fact that you can you can change your entire way of living by changing the set of rules that you live by. From all of the various things that the society has taught down to just one, just one rule. Mm. That one rule, in fact, encompasses the entire teachings of the Buddha. It is the teachings of the Buddha. Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda should be the only rule that you have. Okay. That's, and the sense yeah. is, is this, right now, is this Dukkha? If it is, out it goes, and now we're in a state of, this is not, this is Sukha. And so the Eightfold Noble Path is really all the path of just coming out of Dukkha into Sukha. That's all we need to do. At okay. any particular moment, at any particular point in time, regardless of what's happening, all we need to do is to gladden up. Yeah. One of the ways I've looked at Dukkha Narota has been as a sort of in- inert or empty state where there's not sukha, there's not nor is there suffering, but there is just a clear mind. So that's how I've seen it. Is that is there truth to that is all right, but here's the major question though. Do you like that or do you hate it? Okay. Yeah. Um do you like it? Being sure. in that state of easy going, nothing, uh, you know, hunky dory, easy, it, easy, nothing's gone wrong, nothing's there to do, everything is easy. You like that? When I'm there, I do, but when I think about it, I don't. Pardon? When I've when I've experienced states of dukkha narodha, I've felt it as pleasurable. But when I think about it. I don't think it is pleasurable because it's it's different than what I mean. I almost see it as like, why would I abandon my responsibilities or abandon these thoughts for a state where uh, it's not even quite that. Um, but it's a, the problem is getting is getting there is how I think about it is how I'm thinking about Dukkha Narodha is not it's almost like it's not something I've made worthwhile it's it doesn't it doesn't make me excited or it doesn't make it doesn't um so that's just a a slight problem in the way I think I think about this type of thing 
I, mean, I just don't understand Duke and Roadhog appropriately. Um, that's an interesting word, excitement, that you're, that you're using. Uh, because the various descriptions that I use of, of, of pity does tend to have an element of excitement, but the excitement itself is optional. Generally, what acts, uh, actually excitement is, it's the anticipation rather than the delivery of the happiness. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, an example of that... Um, thrill-seeking, <clears throat> but let's, uh, there's a particular story, and that is that you're lost in the desert, you're out of water, it's hot, you go from uh, the top of one sand dune to the next, you don't know how long you're going to survive out here, you go over one more sand dune, and there's an oasis below. Mm. Not a mirage, a real oasis with actual camels, actual um, uh, tents, actual palm trees, actual water, maybe even an actual belly dancer. So down that sand dune you go towards that water. You're anticipating that you're, you're going to survive. You know that this is it, but you don't have the water yet. What do people do? Do they go down in a nice leisurely stroll or do they run? Yeah. They They'll, they'll run towards what they, what they okay, want. Okay, so they run in anticipation of getting the water. Now, let's look at it a few minutes later. After you've put your face into the water, you've drank as much as you want, and you roll over on your back, and you're satisfied with so full of water. <sighs> All right. Now, which is the better state? The having been filled with the water or the anticipation of getting it? Uh, clearly, this the first uh, having the okay. water is much more valuable. Yeah. All right. So this is also the way that we have to look at meditation. Also, that the the excitement that we have in meditation is generally not the actual having it. You can, in fact, in, think of it this way: that the pity is also that anticipation, and then the sukha is the actual enjoyment of it. Mm -hmm. And that the pity is, is also can be arising uh, in the quality of success. Success. What do I mean by success? That means you win. That means you're not a loser. That means mm -hmm. that you, you're on top of this game now. Yes. Okay, one of the students gave this analogy that I think is just brilliant. He says that every one of us is an emperor of our own pile of dirt. Okay. Everyone's an emperor of their own pile of dirt. The question is, are you going to be buried under your pile of dirt or are you going to be sitting on top of it? An inferor? Pardon? Everyone's an inferor? I I don't know. I don't know. What Everyone that is. is an emperor. Emperor. Like oh yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Everyone is an emperor or a king or uh, the master of his own pile of dirt. Emperor is top notch. So I use the word emperor. Everyone yeah. is an emperor of their own pile of dirt. Mm -hmm. 
but are you going to be an emperor that's buried under your pile of dirt? Uh-huh. That's how most people live their lives. They're buried under all of their problems, and they're not really the emperor at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the emperor can either be buried under his pile of dirt, he can be in the state of struggling to get out of it, or he can just be on top of the world, on top of his own world. Mm-hmm. Sitting on top of the world is the song from the 1950s. I'm sitting on top of the world, okay? Mm-hmm. You have to have that kind of an attitude that you are, in fact, an emperor of your own pile of dirt. A change in attitude. You're not buried under the dirt. You're, um, <coughs> the poly word, <coughs> excuse me. No problem. The poly word is Lokatara. And it's, and it's translated as um, super mundane or transcendent. But basically, it just means being out of the world, Lokatara, above the world, above your own pile of dirt, sitting on top of the world. Mostly we go around like this, we're, we're clinging, we're grasping, we're hanging on to things, but all we have to do is this, and now we're on top of it. Hmm. That's what we have to look at, is by get, turning loose of that pile of dirt, we naturally float right to the top of it. But in fact, that pile of dirt is not a problem. We see it as a problem, but it's not a problem. One of the, um, one of the things that, uh, if you need to address anything right now, you can, but I was sorry. I was going to say, if you need to address anything right now, you can, uh, sorry. Uh, don't worry about that. Uh, one of the things that I was um, thinking about was you mentioned this clinging, um, and one of the ways I've looked at the joy I experience for when I'm being free of hindrances is in this way of um, this joy. If I if it's here, and I enjoy this joy, I almost see that as a, t- a form of of clinging itself. And I try to, there's a sense of wanting to avoid getting caught into this, a clinging to a, a happiness that I know will go away. Um, and I'm not sure um, how that relates. Seeing the happiness then as a doorway or perhaps a tunnel. And that you have to go through the happiness. Imagine, in fact, another way of thinking of it is imagine that the uh, uh, the happiness is like a car wash. And you're telling yourself, oh, well, if I go through the car wash and get all clean and everything, then I'll be finished with the car wash and I've got to drive around without being in the car wash. Maybe I shouldn't bother to go to the car wash at all. Okay. Yeah, that, that is, it'll, it's, a, it's a little bit silly when you put it that way. Pardon? It, it, it is a little bit silly when you put it that way. <laughs> um, you yes. Can apply it. Yeah, that makes sense. That we have to cultivate the joy. That the joy will be integrated into that um, upeka. Mm-hmm. That the upeka is not dead. 
that in fact uh, the upeka that I think that you're talking about of getting yourself into the into a neutral state is really not neutral at all. So the an example that I give is sea legs. Sea legs. Sea legs. The old salt. The old sailor. The old fisherman has got a fairly large sized fishing boat. He's out at sea, sometimes in rough weather, and he can get easily from one end of that ship to the next. Okay, He'll yeah. go from the bow to the stern. Why? Because he's got his sea legs. Hmm. He knows that ship. He knows the ups and downs and back and forth. But let us say his uh, new son-in-law or some landlubber comes on board ship and he's up at the, uh, the bow and he wants to get to the stern. He's going to have an awful lot of events getting to the back of the ship. One event is running into the side of the cabin. The other event is having to grab the ropes. Another event is maybe he's heaving over the side. Another event, maybe he's going over the side. <laughs> Why? Because he doesn't have his sea legs. Ah. Okay. So this is a way of looking at upeka. Upeka is not um, a, a steady state balance. It's a dynamic balance. Okay. And part of that dynamic balance is the joy. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's also got to do with the attitude. Of course I can make it to the other end of the ship. I've done it many times. Mm -hmm. well, could you go into that uh, dynamic state a little more? I think that's helpful for me. Okay. We actually want to go into seclusion in the meditation hall, which you can think of as the analogy of docking the ship so that it's steady enough that we can learn to walk around on the ship when it's docked. Walking around in our own mind, having clean it out, you know, yep. not so junky in there anymore. And then we set sail or that we unmoor the ship and go out into the ocean because the ship is in fact designed for the ocean. That, I mean, if, if you weren't going to take the ship to sea, there's no reason to have a ship. True. There's no reason for you to live, have a life if you're not going to interact some with society. And so that's the way of looking at it, that in order for you to deal with society, you've got to learn to deal with it in port. Once you get in port and get, get the mind cleaned out, now you can go to sea and to deal with the turbulence of the world without it affecting you. That makes sense. It's not a neutral state, but it is balanced. That's why I give the analogy of the sea legs. It's because you can handle it, even though the deck that you're standing on or the deck that you're walking on is not stable, still you are. And, and it's balanced in this the state of sukha or the state of exactly it's yes. balanced in the state of sukha and pity okay yeah because without sukha and pity there's not going to be any real relaxation and without relaxation there's no unification of mind okay yeah, that, that clears up my understanding of upeka 
Okay, pity and sukkah are necessary, and that uh, there's a lot of places where it's um, indicated that way, including the Sambhojana, that we have to develop unremitting mindfulness so that we can do an unremitting investigation, which then brings about an unremitting, the effort turns into energy. In other words, we just quite naturally, because of our unremitting investigation, we have unremitting ability to take care of things. That, that uh, unremitting effort or energy then brings on unremitting piti sukha. That unremitting piti sukha then allows us to be completely relaxed. If you're not satisfied and enjoying, it's really hard to relax. Yeah, it's very difficult. Okay, so relaxation is part of the uh, jhana factor. If you don't, if you're not relaxed, if you're not in a state of pleasure, if you're not joyful, if you're not with the attitude of I can do this, then any one of those items and you don't have the complete vehicle that's going to take it into that state of the unification of mind. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. The way I've seen this has been quite dry, I think. Um, right. And the practice that we're talking about, it actually is juicy. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Become a juicy person. <laughs> That'll be my, uh, my mantra <laughs> for tomorrow. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll not talk about mantras right now. We'll talk about uh, uh, bringing up the joy. So the last point to make is the attitude. One's right attitude is the attitude, I can do this. The attitude of success. Then in fact, at the top of it, it would be called the attitude of a lion. The Buddha was known as a lion. Mm. He was ferocious in the sense that he was, he, he, he was better than everybody else and he knew it. Yeah, I, but he also had compassion enough that he didn't have to necessarily rub it in every time. He was a uh, he has this he had the attitude of a prince, right? He was pardon. A, he had the yes, attitude he started of a prince. off as a prince. Yeah, but but the attitude of a prince itself is not liberating. Look how many princes there are around. Yeah, it's not. It's, and it's they're not, not liberating. The yeah. Uh huh. So the attitude is to change if you are a prince is to even grow out of that into uh, a real can-do. Because, in fact, one of the biggest problems with the prince is the same problem that every little boy has in life. That is, he's got a daddy he's got to kill off. In fact, prince is nothing but the actual manifestation of um, the Oedipus complex. Okay. I haven't heard you know of Oedipus Rex? You know the story of Oedipus Rex? No. Killed his father and married his mother. Every little boy wants to do that. Get daddy out of the house. And the prince, he's got not only can I get daddy in the, out of the house so I can have mommy, I can have all the mommies I want. It's my house now. The whole kingdom is mine. Okay? So the prince automatically has a big issue. Mm -hmm. Bigger than most kids, but every kid has that uh, has that problem. Mm -hmm. It's called the Oedipus uh, complex, and we all we all have it. 
that Oedipus complex is what eventually uh, will have that argument between the son and the father about, are you going to live in my house and do by my rules, or are you going to leave? That's back to that nesting instinct again. Mm-hmm. This is my house. This is my nest. Kid, you got to play by my rules. If you don't go by my rules, out you go. Yeah. Okay. And so one of the options that the kid has is, well, I can take over this house. All I have to do is get rid of the old man. <laughs> and look how many times that's happened in history. Yeah, it's it's a trend. Mm-hmm. So uh, just being a prince has got only a little bit to do with this. But the okay. attitude of the... But one of the qualities of the attitude of the prince is that he deserves it. And you don't have that. You don't have that. You don't think that you deserve to be happy yet. It's almost like uh, entitled to this Mm -hmm. state. Are you you entitled to be happy? No, not not at the level I, I think we're talking about right now. All right. How can you give yourself permission to be joyful? I I think um, I'm not sure. I think I have to the realize one thing is to yeah. become aware of this. That's why I'm pointing it out to you. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, at this level, there are three P's: protection, permission, and potency. Okay. You need permission and potency. Okay. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? That means that you have you need to have permission to be happy, to be successful, completely successful, and feel it, and then let that not that feeling then grow, so that it becomes powerful. It becomes potent. Mm-hmm. There's a skill to be developed, but you have to give yourself permission first. Yes. I think I, I have. And you have my permission. I mean, I give you complete permission. You can go ahead and feel good now. <laughs> All right, that helps a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's the the sense of um, not. It's almost like I shouldn't be too happy. The sense of permission. I I get what you mean because I understand. I can see there's like a limiter almost of. Um, in order to be this happy, you should have done something to deserve it. Yeah, and you don't, and let's put it this way. You've already done enough to deserve it. Look how much you've done already, and you didn't get the reward. So why don't you start cashing in? That's fair. It's time you cash in and leave the casino. You're a rich man <laughs> that's, now. That's fair, yes. Um, the first of those three Ps, protection, what is that? Is that just the sense of, of safety? or? Yes, a sense of safety. Mm-hmm. You need the protection that is okay for you to be happy. Mm-hmm. My happiness is protected. There, there, there is, yeah, we're going to shut off that old grump inside that says, what are you doing being happy? You ain't done nothing to be happy. Yeah, yeah, and, and he actually says, in fact, you've done all these things that mm-hmm. that should make you feel terrible right now. Yeah, you should enjoy the fact that you've already accomplished so much. One of the things you've accomplished is is that you can learn to be happy. 
getting better, getting better. Um, All right. Well, that will give you something to practice, Union. Great. Yeah. Thank you're you gonna so be much. happy. Enjoy. Let's get yes. some of that um, um, attitude. I can do this. Absolutely. I I'm gonna be I'm gonna be taking this and uh, applying it. That's so why I appreciate this and I I, I wish you a rapid uh, recovery from whatever there is. <laughs> All right. We'll Thank see you, you later. Thank you.